and welcome to another episode of Downtime with the Cranston Public Library. We're a podcast for cool people who love libraries where we talk about what we've been reading, what we've been watching, and what we've been loving. I'm your host, Taylor, and the branch librarian at the Oakland Branch Library. My pronouns are she, her. Hi, I'm Pam Steger, she, her, and I am uh, the Director of Public Engagement for Courageous Rhode Island, which is a department for Homeland Security funded project uh, that the Media Ed Lab at URI received funding for. We'll talk about that more later in the show. Yes, we will. Um, But before we jump into that, let's start off as we always do with what have you been reading? Well, I've been reading both uh, things for professional uh, purposes and and finally things for pleasure. So um, our sessions today with the Courageous Rhode Island uh, professional development program that we're in the middle of was um, with Kent Lency, who is the author of a book called Learning to Depolarize. And so our assignment for this uh, session was to read uh, the first two chapters of Kent's book. And I was so enamored with them that I immediately bought the book uh, so that I could keep reading (laughs) other than the chapters that were provided to us for our assignment. So um, really great stuff. Kent uh, was a middle school teacher for decades and um, he uh, left to start a cons- an educational consulting business based on his uh, concern about the polarization in the country and his also his concern that educators seem to be more and more um, shying away from doing anything about it. So his book is really trying to urge and motivate and uh, show educators how they can respectfully bring issues of polarization into their classrooms. Seems very timely and important. (laughs) And then on the fun side, I um, just finished uh, Drew Gilpin Faust, uh, the former president of Harvard, her uh, recent autobiography of her young adulthood in the 60s called Necessary Trouble, uh, a uh, title that she took from a John Lewis quote and asked for his permission to use as the title of her book before he died. And he said it would be my honor. So uh, she tells about her own necessary trouble getting that she got up to during the 60s activism period. I was going to say, when you said it, I was like, oh, is that like good trouble? Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, exactly. Um, it is. How about you? What have you been reading? So um, I guess the upside of spending the whole long weekend uh, ill in my apartment um, was that, yeah, I had a lot of time to uh, read and to catch up on some things. So I had for the longest time said, oh, if you you know, like, yeah, a long weekend or a little bit of vacation time, I'm going to sit down and I'm going to reread all of Saga, which is a um, graphic novel series. It's very inspired by like Star Wars and this idea of like a space opera. Um, and it kind of has a star-crossed lovers element going to it too that um well the narrator is the child of two of the main characters who are both um on opposing sides of a war that is spread throughout the galaxy um and you know their child is is very dangerous like as an idea 
because it shows that, you know, these two sides can get along. They're not as different as either of their governments want them to believe that they are. And, uh, and yeah, it's, I mean, it's definitely for adults. Sometimes it is raunchy and gross. Sometimes it is, you know, making poignant statements about war. So it's really a wild ride, but, um, it's something that was coming out monthly in the little, like, what you would traditionally think of as like comics issues mm-hmm. at your local comic shop. I don't have patience to keep up with that. So <laughs> I wait till the volumes come out and I've been reading it by volume. So they'll put together like five or six of these monthlies into a volume. Um, and they went on hiatus for a long time. So between the hiatus and me just like not having really looked in the series for a while, I was like, okay, well, before I read this one that I haven't read, I have to like reread everything. And I was like, now is the time. And so I did, I enjoyed it. Um, Reading it again just reminds me how much I wish that this gets picked up by someone and made into a show. Mm. Um, Maybe I might regret that wish because sometimes adaptations are not as good as we think they will be in our mind. I would love to see it be an animated show so that all the characters look like they look in the comics, especially coming off of watching Ahsoka and some of like the bad practical makeup and effects. Surprisingly, given that it's Disney and Disney has Disney money to do these kind of things. And I mean, that might be an unpopular take of mine. But yeah, having just watched a space show where people who are different colors and have all these kind of alien features not necessarily be executed great. But in a live action mode. Yeah, that's what I'm yeah. saying. Like, I, if it was live action, I, f- I feel like I'd be worried that they that they won't look like how they look like in the comic and how, like, I imagine them looking. You know, with a graphic novel, you would hope that they'd get it right, but that's only if it goes to animation. But yeah, I think it would be really cool. And uh, it would be kind of like Space Game of Thrones in a way. Like, there's a mm-hmm. lot of political stuff going on and a lot of, like, different storylines going on concurrently and then the storylines merging. Um So, yeah, I think it would be a really great show, but I don't know if that's ever going to happen. Until then, though, I'm enjoying it, and I just have to catch up on the newest volume that I don't own yet. It's a good way to pass the time when you're not feeling well. Yeah, definitely. Yeah, you're talking about the the child uh, that was the problem reminded me of uh, Trevor Noah's book, Born a Crime. Oh, yeah. About his multiracial parents and... How he was not allowed to be. <laughs> yeah, no, there's definitely a lot of that yeah. going on. But again, taking it out of like the reality that we're in. The science fiction part yeah. and deal with those issues that we haven't yet dealt with. Yeah, that's one of the things I love about sci-fi is that we can really talk about things that are going on currently, but removed enough that it almost doesn't feel political. It doesn't feel polarizing because it's like one step removed. But anyone who's, you know, got their thinking caps on and paying attention is like, oh, wow, this is saying something about race relations in America. Yeah, exactly. Going to war and getting other civilizations involved in your war for no reason except that you don't want it to be on your land anymore. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) A recurring theme. (laughs) So uh, besides books, have you been watching anything interesting lately? 
I have. So uh, my latest um, guilty pleasures have been um, Only Murders in the Building uh, on Hulu, I think, uh, with Steve Martin and Martin Short and Selena Gomez. Uh, find that funny and distracting. And they just, uh, there's a new ep- uh, series, so I've been catching up on that. And um I like a lot of documentaries, but um, can't think of any that I've watched uh, recently that I can remember. But um, I just last night watched, uh, just because it came on right after I was watching something else and I didn't grab the remote control in time, Um, but it was a series of Wes Anderson short stories. And they were, um, oh my gosh, I can't believe I'm forgetting the name of uh, whose short stories they were? Ada- oh, Roald Dahl. They were Roald oh, Dahl. Oh, okay. And they were all adapted in that strange Wes Anderson way. So they were all like fit between fifteen and twenty minutes long, and it was great. So you know, I just stuck with it and got through three before I was falling asleep. So. <laughs> And yeah. then my my other thing that I have just absolutely loved are uh, Korean rom-coms because they are so different. They're still incredibly formulaic, you know, like the rom-com thing, except there's hardly any sex, which is really interesting. Like they just, you just, you, you really can't believe that these couples can go on for as many episodes as they can with a deep passion and never once end up in bed. But um <laughs> But it's it's really interesting, and I love the fact that the latest one that I've been into uh, only releases once a week, so I don't fall into the binging habit where I stay up too long watching them because they <laughs> leave you hanging at the end, and then I can't get up in the morning. So, um, but but I love them. Other than the weird, you know, fascination with perfect looks that uh, the South Koreans have. Um, that was bothering me for a long time. Like these, all these people can't be this beautiful. So there is that Hollywood (laughs) element to it. And then just recently, I don't know if it was a New Yorker article or what, or maybe something I heard on NPR, but it was about the whole Korean plastic surgery business, that it is so popular there starting at such an early age, because everyone wants to look like the beautiful media stars and that the people are going from all over the world to go there because they have so many and it's less expensive than in most other places. So that's a little disturbing, but I, the thing I love about them is Korea is a Buddhist nation or at least a good chunk of the, the population. And so their stories, you know, have to do with past lives and destiny and, how, you know, how generations later, these two characters are still somehow working off past karma. So I like that element too. Yeah, it sounds interesting. And and I had a little bit of an idea of how, um, yeah, like this idea of like obsession with looks in Korea, like you hear about like Korean skincare, which became a thing like a few years ago coming over here and yeah. being able to buy it here um, yeah. and stuff like that. But I did not know about the plastic surgery and how like pervasive it seems like not pervasive. to not to make it negative, but I mean, yeah, yeah, including, you know, changing their eyes so that they oh. don't have the 
Asian flap and things like that. Yeah. And, and bleaching their skin. And, you know, so a lot of the things we've heard before in other cultures, but yeah, it's pretty, it seems like it's pretty pervasive there. Yeah. And that's, that's really unfortunate that like, I don't know, I guess there was part of me that hoped that maybe it wouldn't be Western, it would be like their own beauty standards. But no, it sounds like it's still Western beauty standards, like you said. Well, when you think in terms of the Asian, um, you know, the the white face that they even did in their operas and their, um, uh, what were the women called, Uh, geishas were always very pale face makeup. So that was always sort of a standard of beauty. Yeah, that's true. Because I think I, I mean, a lot of cultures, it was like this, too. It's only I think into like our modern conceptions of beauty that we've really been obsessed with tans. Mm. So there are many cultures that if you are tanned or darker skin, that means that you have to work for a living. Like you, you don't have the money to be able to stay indoors Mm -hmm. and not do like manual labor for a living. So it was only until like this modern era when I think I heard it on a podcast that they were talking about like this, but I can't remember which one, this modern era when like being able to take vacations and stuff became like a wealth signifier that the can thing became a wealth signifier because it was like, oh, well, you can afford to spend a week in Cabo and get tan. Right. Um, And so it's funny how things like that flip yeah and then and then flip back in the case of asian countries yeah i don't remember how i ended up getting interested in the uh korean um series but uh part of being a media literacy person is i really like to mess with the algorithm you know like (laughs) so i always let my you know my grandsons my teen grandsons come over and you know use my computer to do you know their (laughs) online work and I think my algorithm currently thinks I'm a um, part Swedish, part Korean gay man. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, especially with like the targeted ad stuff. Like I've definitely had moments where I'm just like, what does the algorithm think about me as a person? Like it was funny. I uh, my partner pointed this out that I kept getting pre-roll ads on YouTube for like deodorant. Yes. and like air freshener and stuff and he was like yeah and it was like kind of nerdier content that was after the ad that I was watching and he was just like yeah because the algorithm thinks all you nerds smell <laughs> and I was like well I don't love that for me I uh yeah I don't I don't love that that's what the algorithm thinks of me and yeah sometimes I have yeah. moments where I'm like hmm. is this where I'm at <laughs> or you even like can see when the algorithm like has moved you into a different age bracket is what I'm like kind of seeing now is I'm like, oh, we've moved out of the 18 to 25 and now we're in the 25 to 34. Oh, yeah. And the algorithm knows and it's acting accordingly. Yeah, yeah. But you have to still <laughs> remember, Taylor, there's, there's probably still a gender gap in the tech world of who is creating the algorithms, you know, who's setting them up even, like who's putting their bias into it. So, uh, yeah, it's it's a different world out there. <laughs> and it's going to get even more exciting with AI. Yeah. <laughs> 
and we'll return to the show after a quick break. Do you love reading but miss chatting with people about what you've read? Why not join our book group? There are a variety of meetings happening every month, including the nonfiction book group, Hidden in the Stacks, YA for Adults, and Reading in the Hall book group. For more information and to register, visit cranstonlibrary.org book groups or contact the Central Library Reference Desk at central at cranstonlibrary.org. Looking for a movie to watch? Canopy has over 30,000 feature films and documentaries for you to stream for free. Log in using your Cranston Library card and receive eight free play credits each month. That's eight movies every month that you can watch for free. You can watch the 2016 Academy Award-winning film Moonlight, Taika Waititi's horror comedy, What We Do in the Shadows, and many more films today with Canopy. Go to cranstonlibrary.org to find the link to sign into Canopy today. Well, I don't want to dive into that. We could have a whole episode probably about AI and at least my personal deep anxiety about it. Mm. But you're here to talk about Courageous RI um, and what you guys do as an organization. So can you talk a little bit about the work that you've done since the Department of Homeland Security created this program? Yeah. So I... um... I can say that we were absolutely shocked when we first heard that the Department for Homeland Security was uh, making uh, funding available, that they were recognizing that media literacy could be used as a prevention tool against targeted violence and domestic terrorism in specific. And um, I mean, we've known that in media literacy for decades. And I was on the brink of retiring and, you know, going into my nature art and gardening full time. Um, And then this funding came through and it was just uh, too rich of an opportunity to pass up. So I came back out of the garden and into uh, terrorism prevention. (laughs) (laughs) But it's using what we know. It's using the critical analysis of media messages that obviously um, we believe not enough people are really practicing on a regular basis uh, to really know what are accurate and and factual sources of information, and especially what might be a term that we uh, learned when we read one of the first books that uh, Dr. Renee Hobbs and I at the Media Ed Lab uh, read when we were boning up on the terrorism part and the polarization part, uh, you know, to add our media literacy to, was... um, a book called High Conflict by Amanda Ripley. Really wonderful book. I'd recommend it to anyone. It's very readable. Amanda was a journalist, high, you know, um, worked for the big papers and, and media outlets and realized, you know, around 2016, 2017, that journalists were actually part of the problem, that because they just kept following the polarization that was happening, it was deepening the polarization that was happening. And 
And they seem to be at a loss as to how to change the way that they did things in order to not do that. And so she just decided it was a good time for her to leave and use her, put her journalistic skills to work in in doing research about that, about the polarization, and then writing a, a book about it. And in her book, High Conflict, she uses the term conflict entrepreneurs, which was new to both Renee and I. And we loved it so much that we had, well, we did a, a, a podcast interview of Amanda Ripley on our uh, Courageous Rhode Island um, website. And we also uh, did two of our uh, 11 sessions that we had online, two sessions of each program. Um, we had one called High Conflict, and then we had another one called Conflict Entrepreneurs, because we thought that that, that idea that there are people, many people, actually, who actually make money, make their living from uh, getting us all riled up and and deepening our divides. Because the more divided we can be, the more high emotion there is, um, that, that causes clicks and likes and shares. And that's what makes money in the world of social media. Um, so that was one of the the programs that we had that people really were as surprised or, um, you know, and became as informed as we were about that whole aspect of um, social media. And another thing for us all to be aware of. Yeah, so we created a, a curriculum. Uh, we invited as many people as we could through as many outlets as we could. We did, we hired a PR firm to help us with marketing it. We had our kickoff in February of uh, 23, earlier this year. God, it's hard to believe it was just this year. <laughs> we've, we've covered a lot of ground. Um, at the State House and newly elected Secretary of State Greg Amore was a speaker along with a Republican uh, representative and a Democratic senator because we were trying to really show that we wanted to bring people with different perspectives uh, together to talk respectfully with each other. You know, our motto became stay curious, not furious, and have conversations, not confrontations, and put the unity back into community. Uh, so everything we did was really trying to get people to listen to each other respectfully and so we created ground rules every week, and we had our sessions every two weeks between March and July. Um, and every um, session, we would uh, introduce a topic, and we would um, practice some media literacy skill. And then we would break up into breakout rooms where people had facilitated discussions um, from their different perspectives, because we acknowledge that we have gotten so polarized that we all live in our own little media bubbles. Possibly librarians are exceptions because you have such a wealth of information at your fingertips. But still in your personal lives, you, you have your own bias and your own way of looking at the world. And you 
have in your friendship group, people who feel the same way usually as you do. So, um, you know, what we wanted to do was to open people up to listening to others with respect. And I think we succeeded at that. You know, I think we um, we did a good job and people really liked it. Uh, I, a lot, a lot of people came to at least eight of our 10 sessions and we actually um, uh, compensated them. We, we gave uh, gift cards for every two sessions that you attended. Um, but we've gotten a lot of wonderful data uh, about how they felt about it and whether their knowledge of different subjects increased as time went on. And we are now in program number two, which is a professional development uh, series of online, also online conversations uh, that are specifically for educators, not just typical educators from middle school through college, but community educators and um, anyone who really feels as though what they do has an educational component to it. Uh, so we just finished session two of uh, six sessions of that uh, that will run from now through December. And then in January, we'll kick off program three, which is a youth media message contest. So there are uh, four different categories. And basically, we're going to be asking the youth of Rhode Island to show us their creativity and whether it's in um, spoken word or written word form or digital video uh, or music, uh, we're, we're, we have four different categories or graphic design. Um, and we're hoping to get a lot of entries and we're getting a, a judging group together now from artists and uh, video producers, etc., who will be the judges and will award cash prizes. And um, then we will take some of the winning entries and send them through the airwaves so that those messages will be heard by a lot of people. Fantastic. It all sounds amazing. And uh, I, I wish you guys the best of luck with your with getting youth on board, I hope that I also hope that you get a lot of signups and that um, kids are really creative with the task that you've given them. Yeah, well, we know that lib a lot of libraries have youth media production activities and things, so we're hoping librarians will will join in and encourage the youth that come to their libraries or in their youth programs to think about. Um, doing something. We're going to hopefully, you know, start introducing it. Well, we're introducing it to the all the educators in our program. Again, it will be for students between middle school and college, and we'll have different categories um, for judging. But um, yeah, we're just really hoping that we get some really nice creative things that we can share and reward. And at the same time that kids will visit our website to see what, you know, they can riff on and uh and um and maybe learn something there as well so um you've already said a lot about the work that you guys are doing at courageous ri but is there anything else you would like people to know about your organization before we wrap up yeah well the one thing i didn't mention that i'm um I'm the lead on, I was the lead on the Courageous Conversations. Renee is leading um, the, the professional development with three other um, 
college level educators uh, from around the country. And that was one of the exciting things about the conversations is because the Media Ed Lab at URI is an international organization and consortium of media literacy and digital literacy professionals. Um, and she was using the Media Ed Lab to, to um, promote the Courageous Rhode Island initiative. We were getting people from not just across the country, but across the world, as well as across Rhode Island. Wow. So one of my favorite parts of it was having Rhode Islanders, you know, come back to the main session and say, there was someone from Kazakhstan in my breakout room and they're having the same problems there, you know, and just um, as far as opening people up, I think that that in and itself was was doing it. But we also introduced in our last two sessions of Courageous Conversations what we're calling the ripple effect. So we invited anyone who either attended a Courageous Conversation online during our series or goes to the website and and re-watches some of those sessions and looks at the slide decks that we share and replicates it for their own audience. If they can gather six people or more together, we will compensate them for teaching the same material that we that we taught and introducing the the courageous com- the conversational part of it as well, the small group discussion. So we had our first Rippler in Brazil in August. And um, we are having one in South County here in Rhode Island that's going to be an in-person one on October 24th. If anybody listening lives in that area, we'll be putting that on the website and on our social media. And um, we've got another one happening down in Georgia where they're doing a courageous conversation for musicians, hoping to inspire them to start writing songs about these issues so lots of exciting stuff happening, and um, we hope that that the ripples will keep flowing. So where can people go if they want to find out more about this and get involved in Courageous RI? Yeah, it's www.courageousri.com. Our, um, our branding guy tried to talk us out of that name. He said, it's too long. It's too hard to spell. And and we were just adamant that we wanted this to be about courage because we really feel as though, you know, I love that the Latin and French derivation of the word courage comes from heart. You know, it's about having heart. Mm -hmm. And we think that's what is missing in the world today in in a lot of our relationships and as we get closer and closer to thanksgiving and the wonderful thanksgiving gatherings <laughs> we want to try and figure out um how to make them the friendly things they once used to be even if you did have a crazy uncle or a alcoholic aunt or whatever <laughs> So we have, we encourage you to go to our website and just look around. We have a lot, a lot, a lot of materials there. And if somebody is interested in trying out a ripple effect event, even if they didn't attend our original Courageous Conversations, um, there is a place where they can book a coaching session with either Renee or myself and... Um, and I think my my email is on there as well, uh, pamsteger at mediaeducationlab.com. 
All right. Fantastic. So we wrap up the show with a segment I call The Last Chapter, where we talk about a library or bookish-related question. Um, And I thought to keep it somewhat on theme with our conversation today, I would ask you, what is one book that you would always recommend for someone who wants to become more media literate or, you know, learn more about media literacy? I know you mentioned some titles already, but if there's another one you want to throw in the ring, I'd love to hear it. Yeah. Okay. Um, well, I I think that um, since Renee Hobbs, we're lucky enough to have Renee Hobbs, who is actually one of the global leaders uh, in the media literacy movement um, here in Rhode Island. Um, and I think her book, Mind Over Media, is a classic in the field and still um, one of the best. Uh, it it really is specifically about propaganda and educating about propaganda in the digital age, but um, she covers a lot of ground in it. Um, so that one I would uh, definitely recommend. And um, for people who have heard about Braver Angels, which is another um, effort like ours to try and depolarize. Uh, Monica Guzman's book, I Never Thought of It That Way, is a really good book in for that, um, that effort as well, uh, for depolarizing us and making us a friendly nation again. Fantastic. So thank you, Pam, for joining me. And thank you, everyone, for listening. If you would like to reach out to us to respond to our last chapter question or just to reach out to the show, you can do that at downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. You can also reach out to us via social media with the hashtag downtimecpl. If you're feeling generous, please rate, review on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts because it helps people find the show. Thank you again for listening. And this has been another episode of Downtime. Downtime is a project of the Cranston Public Library and is produced by Elena Rios, Robin Nizio, and me, Taylor Cardillo. Audio engineering by Dave Bartos. Our theme music is Day Trips by Ketza. And our ad music is Happy Ukulele by Scott Holmes. Links to the books and movies discussed can be found in the show notes. Remember to rate and review Downtime on Apple Podcasts. Connect with the podcast on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram with the hashtag DowntimeCPL. And if there's something you'd like to hear on the show, send an email to downtime at cranstonlibrary.org. The views, thoughts, and opinions expressed are the speaker's own and do not represent those of the Cranston Public Library. The material and information presented here is for general information purposes only. The Cranston Public Library name, in all forms and abbreviation, are the property of its owners and its use does not imply endorsement or opposition to any specific organization, product, or service. The content of this episode is the property of the Cranston Public Library and may not be reproduced without express written permission. Join us next week for more Downtime. This is the part where I usually are like, yay, you made a podcast, but you make a podcast all the time, apparently. (laughs) Well, not all the time. Okay.